Well, good morning. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. Um, a little bit of snow, I don't know about you, but it was kind of exciting. I think that's probably as close as we're going to get to a white Christmas. Um, and so what an exciting time. I hope you've really enjoyed time with your family and really uh, cherished the moment. And it's hard to believe that today is the last Sunday of 2020. And I know for many of you, 2020 is kind of like mixed emotions. For some of you, like this was the worst year of your life. Uh, for others, it was like, eh, it wasn't that bad. And maybe for some of you, maybe a handful of you, this was one of your best years. And so certainly, this was a year for the record books, a year uh, we'll never forget, a year we will look back and see how it might have changed um, our culture, changed the way we approach life, even maybe changed the way um, we look at church. But what we do know of this year is that this year was from the Lord ordained by God, and in His sovereign plan, um, He is working all things out for His glory and eventually uh, for our good, even though we may not be able um, to see it. And so today, we're going to do um, something a little different. Um, we're going to read some Scripture, talk about Scripture, and then I'm going to have a few of our leaders come up and lead us in a time of prayer uh, through the book of Psalms. Now, I do know that we have kids here, and so parents, if you are stressed out about your kids being too loud, that's fine. We'll just get over it. I'm not here to yell over them anymore. That's why I'm yelling, is to drown them out. That's not going to happen. Um, but we're just going to try our best as we come together and really this last service, just cry out to the Lord and ask the Lord to work in us and through us and among us. And so that's our game plan uh, for this morning. We'll play a little pads in the background so it's not complete silence and you don't have to keep your kid completely still. I understand um, it is a very difficult uh, challenge for you. Um, and then I also want to wish you guys a happy new year. And I pray that 2021 would be a wonderful year as the Lord makes himself known to us. But if you have your Bibles, I want us to turn to Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 18. Now, now, Genesis chapter 18, in my opinion, that's just my opinion, is probably one of the most obscurest passages I've read. It's kind of like, you know, here we see like almost like Abraham uh, negotiating with God, and God in one way or another is entertaining it. But really, there's a couple of truths um, I want to point out to you and what really is going on in this passage. Now, before we look at the passage and read it, um, if we look at the larger context of what's going on, is here God, um, he chose chose Abram, um, before he was Abraham, he chose Abram, and entered into a covenant relationship with him. Now, the reason why God chose Abram is we have no idea, because at that point in Abram's life, he was not worshiping God. He was a pagan worshiping idols, and yet God in his sovereign grace made himself known to Abram and, and said, follow me, I'll give you land, I'll, make you, I'll turn you into a great nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and through your seed, through you, all of the nations will be blessed. And so Abram, not knowing this God, follows this God in by faith. And so God continually reiterates this covenant. And then there's this kind of weird ceremony, um, the ceremony of two animals being split in half. And it's just a bloody mess. And so for us, we look at it and we're like, oh, disgusting. But in the ancient world, when somebody entered into a covenant, they would normally take these animals, cut these animals in half. And the idea of 
of it is, this is what will happen to you when you break the covenant. You will be like the animal that will be split in half. And so when the two parties enter into a covenant, both of them will walk through the alley of blood, right split between these two animals as a reminder, if I break this covenant, then this is what will happen to me. It's kind of in a marriage covenant. There's a gun on the side. I'm just kidding. Um, because if you break it, this is what will happen. Until death does its part. Like the only thing that can separate us is death. Um, that doesn't really happen, but I think maybe it should happen. I'm just kidding. I'll stop here. But so in this covenant, Abraham does not go through this lane, this bloody aisle. But God does. In other words, what God is communicating to Abraham is, I'm entering into a covenant with you. And even if you are unfaithful in this covenant, even if you one way or another break this covenant, I'm going to remain faithful and I'm going to face the consequences of you breaking this covenant. And then not only does God do this, but he also gives them a sign of the covenant, a, a circumcision. And what the circumcision really means is that God is, is setting him apart, cutting off as he sets him apart to be his God as they enter a covenant. So when they circumcise, they're cutting themselves off as, they, as, as they're cutting themselves into the covenant of God, entering into a covenant of God. And so God makes these promises. He gives them the signs, continually reiterates this covenant. And then he tells Abraham, it's through your offspring that, that I will turn you into a mighty nation. And even though Abraham had a hard time to believe because they were old in age and age and Abraham kind of tried to come up with a plan B and have a kid through through Hagar and had Ishmael God continued to remain faithful and then what happens is in chapter 18 verse 1 this is what happens let, let, let's look at this it says the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Marmor while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day he looked up, and he saw three men, three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourself. That is why you have passed your servant's way. Later, you can continue on. Now, notice in verse, in verse 3 here, it's lowercase lord. So Abraham does not really recognize who it is, but in that ancient culture, when they saw people travel, they showed hospitality and honor by inviting them in and providing for them a little bit of their journey. Look at verse, the end of verse 5. It says, yes, they replied, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. So here Abraham shows hospitality, gives his best. Look at verse 9. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. 
Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can't I really have a baby when I am old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. Now think about what's happening here. Sarah just lied to the Lord. Plainly, just just lied to the Lord. And what did the Lord not do? He did not strike her down. He did not destroy her. Because in her lie, what was her sin? It was more than just lying. It was saying, it's impossible for you to do that, God. I don't believe you. I don't think you can do it. And yet the Lord confronts her and said, yes, you did lie. But now he moves on. And this is the part that I think is very obscure. Verse 16 says this. The men got up from there and looked, over, looked out over Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to see them off. Then the Lord said, Should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation. And all of the, na- all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And this is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. So let's stop here. Think about what's going on here. The Lord enters into a covenant with Abraham. Abraham believes, but yet in the midst of this journey of believing, there's plenty of evidence for doubt. Sarah just lied to the Lord. The Lord did not strike her down. And now what the Lord is doing is for some unknown reason, he is revealing his plan to Abraham. Now think about this. Did God have to let Abraham in on his plan? No, he didn't. It's not like God needed Abraham's approval. It's not like God needed to say, Abraham, hey, hey, bud, I'm a little unsure with what's going on. What do you think I should be doing? I've heard all of these reports. Do you think it is true? No. Why? God knows everything. God sees everything. God is all-powerful, all-present. And yet, this God is a deep, personal God. And in one way or another, which we don't understand, somehow he is inviting Abraham in into his plan. And so one of the things I think we can learn from this passage is, first of all, that God is a 
personal God. How, how do we know that the Lord is personal? Where was Abraham? Sitting under a tree. Who came to Abraham? The Lord did. Who initiated everything? The Lord did. And even though after Sarah lied to the Lord, denied the goodness of the Lord, what did the Lord do? He did not withdraw himself, but he pushed in deeper. And now what we're seeing, not only is he personal, but he's also inviting Abraham into what he is doing. Think about this. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who holds all things together, sustains all things, is in control of all things, the king of all kings is inviting dust, dirt, a coward, a liar into what he is doing. Think about this. Let's keep reading. Verse 22 says this. The men turned from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Verse 23 is important. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So not only is the Lord inviting Abraham in to participate in what he is doing by revealing his plan, what is Abraham doing? Look at verse 23. And I love the ESV. I think the ESV is a better translation. It says this, And he drew near. The CSB, what I'm reading from, it says, He stepped forward. So in other words, Abraham realizes that he is the Lord and that he should not have been invited into the plan of the Lord. And yet by the grace of God, he invites them in despite that his wife just sent. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that should be a disqualification for being invited in. But was it? No. The Lord invites him in and Abraham draws near. He steps forward. And then what does he do? He appeals to the Lord's character. He says, will you really destroy the righteous with the wicked? Let's see how he appeals to his character in verse 24. He says, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really, really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Abraham is not necessarily telling God what he can and cannot do. What he really is doing, he's appealing to God's character. This is what prayer is. Prayer is not simply asking God for what you want of what you need, but is interceding as the Lord has invited you in to participate as part of your prayer. And I think a majority of your prayer should be appealing to the character of the Lord. In other words, what I mean by appealing to the character of the Lord, saying, this is who you are, this is what you've done, 
This is what you are going to do, all because of who you are. Now, for many of us, we look at the passage and we think, oh man, look at the boldness of Abraham. Look at the faith that he's displayed. What did we just talk about in the previous passage? What was happening? (laughs) There was hardly any faith. There was constantly doubt. He, He was known as a liar and a coward. And yet, the reason why he could be so bold was not because of the boldness in and of itself, but because he knew the character of his Lord, and he clung to, his, to the character of the Lord. In other words, the reason why we can enter into the presence of God is not because our extreme faith, it's not because of our boldness, it's because we know who God is, And we can cling to his character and we can ask for the Lord because of his character. Why was Abraham allowed into the presence of the Lord? Because at this point, Jesus has not arrived on the scene. But Abraham believed God that one way or another, God is going to allow him to enter into his presence because God is going to make a way. Now, since we know the whole story, why are we allowed into the presence of the Lord? Because of our faith, because of our boldness and our audacity, or because of what Christ has done for us? It's because of what Christ has done for us. He has allowed us, provided access for us to enter into the presence of God. And because God is deeply personal because of what his son has done. Now we have access to the presence of the Lord and we can come as he's invited us in and invited us to participate in what he is doing in appealing to his character as we intercede on behalf of others. Lord, I need you to work. Why? Because you are sovereign God. Lord, we need you to do this. Why? Because you are the king of all kings. You are in control. You are the creator and the sustainer of all things. Here's the problem with many of us. How can you intercede? How can you pray and appeal to the character of God if we do not know the God of the Bible? And when I say the God of the Bible, I mean the God who has revealed himself according to his word. Because many of us, we believe we know God based on what we think God should be like. But that's not God. That might be your version of God, but that's not God. The way God has made himself known is through his word. And what we as Christians should learn what to do is to pray through his word, to appeal to his character and what he has revealed to us through his word. So for the rest of our time together, as I've set the table, I want us to come knowing that the Lord is deeply personal, that he has invited us in into his presence to participate in what he is doing. Because as the Lord revealed to Abraham his plan, 
Has the Lord not revealed his plan to us and what he's going to do and how he's going to finish everything and bring everything to an appropriate end? Yes, he has. And what do we do? We draw near. We step forward. We appeal to the character of God. And we say, Lord, come quickly. Lord, do what you have said you're going to do. Lord, move in among us. And so I want us to read Psalm 95. I was trying to find... I was trying to find a psalm that is basically going to tell us all about God's character. And that didn't happen. If we have to, if we have to tackle every angle of God's character, we're going to have to do all of the psalms. And I figured we didn't have any time. But this is, I'm sorry, Psalm 98. But this is Psalm 98 I want us to read because I don't think sometimes we view the Lord this way. So we're going to read it. I'm going to instruct you to pray through it. As you look at the character of God and you intercede and appeal to the character of the Lord. Sorry, it's not Psalm 98, it's 99. Should have made a mark, forgive me. The king is holy. Verse 1 says this. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth quake. So just close your eyes right now. Appeal to his character. And say, the Lord, you reign. You are enthroned. Think about the earth quaking. Think about you trembling in his presence. This is who the Lord is. Verse 2 says this. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the people. Let them praise your great and awe-inspiring name. He is holy. Appeal to his character right now. Tell God how great he is. How he is exalted above everything. Look at verse 3. Not only is the, law, the Lord awe-inspiring, but His name is awe-inspiring. And He is holy. Just tell Him how holy He is. Verse 4. The mighty king loves justice. You have established fairness and you have administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. The Lord is just and his judgment is just. And we know that all of the injustice is in the world is going to be made right. Why? Because God is just. 
So why don't you right now intercede for the poor, for the oppressed, for those facing injustices. Lift them up as you appeal to God's character who is just. It says, exalt the Lord our God, bow and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Why do we worship him? Why do we bow down before him? Because he is God. He is holy. And so in your own words, as you're praying, exalt him. Bow down before him. Because he is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those calling on his name. They called the Lord and he answered them. Think about this. That right now as you're crying out to this holy God who reigns and is enthroned among the cherubims, who speaks and the earth quakes, whose name is awe-inspiring, who is holy in the king of justice, fairness, and righteousness. When you call out to him, he does what? He answers. Thank the Lord for that. But not only does he answer, verse 7 says he speaks He spoke to them in a pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statues he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their sinful actions. Not only does the Lord speak, he hears, he answers, He forgives, but he also punishes sin. And think about this. How did the Lord avenge their sinful actions? By destroying them or by destroying his son? Think about that. The Lord has forgiven you, but he has avenged your sinful actions. By killing his son. And as a result of it, we can exalt him. Look at verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you that you are holy, that you are mighty. That we can enter into your presence, that you invite us into what you are doing, and that we can intercede and appeal to you and appeal to your character. 
And who are we that you hear us, that you draw near to us, that you answer us, that you speak to us, that you forgive us, that you took care of our sins. So help us to be in awe of you. Help us to worship you and praise you. For you are a holy king. In Jesus' name, amen.